in that process of me going to chemo and the surgeries and whatnot, Arabic music became such a refuge for me. And that's where I started realizing maybe this thing that I kind of took as a distraction, it means something more for me. It, it became the way I say it, it became from like a summer love affair to an actual, I want to marry you. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Baladins Live podcast. I'm your host, Jana Komarnitska, and I'm thrilled to share a new portion of dance inspiration with you. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. Don't forget to subscribe and receive automatic updates about our new episodes. And if you are our regular listener, welcome back. Please leave your reviews on whichever app you're listening. They really help me promote the show and spread awareness about Baladins art form. Plus, I really like like hearing back from you. On this note, let's get to our today's episode. Jelena and Ballad Dance Evolution are back, taking their show and programs across the globe. You know how many guests we had previously on this podcast sharing how much their experience with BDE pushed their dance career. You can have it too. Audition for Jelena's latest production and join Jungle Book cast. All details at www.joinbde.com. Direct link in the show notes, joinbde.com. Oh, what a multi-layered and multi-angled episode you are about to hear. Having a multidisciplinary background and unending thirst for all things dance, Diana Soto, our today's guest, has performed in ballet dance companies as well as flamenco and modern dance companies. She believes that the best innovation is rooted in tradition, so she has traveled to Egypt, Turkey, Spain and even lived for a while in Beirut to study in depth the roots of dance. Originally from Puerto Rico, Diana is currently based in Houston and is fully involved in active gigging life, performing both very traditional shows as well as a lot of very interesting fusion presentations. In our today's conversation, we tapped into really many different things. Starting from her introduction to belly dance, official introduction to belly dance, uh, while she was going through cancer recovery and chemotherapy, and how belly dance uh, contributed uh, to the process of healing, and later actually got transformed to into a full-time career. We also talked about Diana's experience of living in Beirut and why specifically Beirut and let's say not Cairo, which is the go-to destination for most of the dancers. We also talked about different stages of her career, starting from a lot of focus on teaching to suddenly pivoting completely into only performing and gigging industry, switching uh, places from Puerto Rico to Houston and getting into a new community with a new activity and new city to discover, as well as getting into corporate jobs and the experience of applying, interviewing, while you have on a resume most of the skills from your belly dance career and how did it go for Diana. So all that and even more, I'm only scratching the surface of what we talked about, but all this you are about to hear in our today's episode. So without any further teasers, Let's just dive in. 
This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, a meeting place for committed dance enthusiasts of all levels. Most of our members shared that the club helped them to improve consistency in their training, meet new dance friends, and discover various topics through hundreds of different tutorials. This is definitely a belly dance training that becomes a lifestyle. Learn more at yanadanceclub.com, link in the show notes, or simply visit yanadanceclub.com and try for 7 days for free. Hello, Diana. Welcome to the Baladins Life Podcast. I'm so happy we're finally doing it. Welcome to the project. <laughs> yes, so happy to be here with you, Diana. <laughs> I would love to start from the very beginning of your Baladins story. So can you tell, do you remember your very first Baladins class? Yes, um, my very first belly dance class, I was probably like 16 and I saw some flyer about a belly dance t-shirt coming from the United States to teach in Puerto Rico and I took a workshop, I bought a hip scarf, I bought a CD and then to be very honest with you, I completely forgot about it after that workshop. So the first time it didn't entirely click with me, but what happened is that almost, I don't know, maybe eight years later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And as I was going through that process, you know, it was very hard for me. I was only 25 years old. So it was also like, oh my God, how do you get cancer so young? Like it was like even the doctors would always be like, but you're so young, you can't have cancer. I'm like, well, I actually have it. So like, what do we do about this? Anyway, it was a pretty tough period, but my birthday was coming up and I was just like sitting at home and it was like, you know what, Diana, your birthday is coming up. I understand you're sad, but it's time to like put an end to this pity party. Like enough, <laughs> what are you going to do to help yourself? And I was like, okay, I've always loved dancing. I was a professional flamenco dancer and modern dancer since I was 15 years old. By this time that I get breast cancer, I'm 25. So I've already had like a good amount of years performing, getting paid for it, etc. But I didn't want... I had to stop dancing when I was diagnosed with breast cancer originally. And I, for some reason, I didn't want to like tell my peers in flamenco and modern dance. I think, again, I, I would handle things differently now, but back then being so young, I just didn't want people to like see me without my hair, super pasty, super weak, like not being able to be the kind of dancer I used to be. And so I was like, well, how about belly dance? I've never done that. No one has seen me there. It looks easy enough. I was very arrogant. <laughs> I'll own up to that right away. I, this is not what I believe in belly dance anymore. But back then, I was like, this is like something fun I can do on the side. No one needs to know. And it will relax me. And it won't be too complicated. I should be able to do it even if I'm in chemo and like, you know going through all the difficult things that chemo puts your body through and that's how I started officially in my mind like I almost don't count that first class this is the beginning of my belly dance story and I had the luck to find a t-shirt that was 
very well versed. You know, she traveled to Egypt every year. She had also studied with Jusri Sharif and like lots. She was trained by Arabic teachers, you know, and, and, and not only she taught dance, but she also taught culture and she had such a love affair with the music. And so I fell in love with the music. And in that process of me going to chemo and the surgeries and whatnot, Arabic music became such a refuge for me and that's where I started realizing maybe this thing that I kind of took as a distraction it means something more for me it it became the way I say it became from like a summer love affair to an actual I want to marry you belly dance (laughs) I love you so much Uh, and and yeah so that was in 2012 it was supposed to last only a couple of months and it's been over 10 years. I'm still here. I even went to Lebanon and lived in Beirut for a couple of months because I wanted to train there and train Dabki and train with Pierre Haddad who was living there back then and, and all this stuff. And, and and I've never really looked back. I actually switched from my other dancers, you know, to make this my main dance. So I still like, I'll do a lot of, like flamenco fusions and fusions with castanets and whatnot because that's still in me but I certainly like this became my main focal point so that's my belly dance origin story if you will wow that was unexpected like I I knew you started in Puerto Rico but I didn't know all those details um may I ask you and uh sorry if I'm digging into a sensitive topic like feel feel free to switch to another direction but uh, I've never actually like never had any guests going through such experience uh, mm-hmm. and being introduced to ballet dance while being in a very difficult health situation. And when yeah. you go through chemotherapy, it is really hard on the body. And I'm not sure even if all people actually realize how difficult and different, different mm-hmm. people react differently, but the chemotherapy itself is very, very exhausting and very it often is. people don't want really to do any physical activity. So how did it work out for you in terms of starting a new adventure and taking ballet dance classes, which is physical activity? Okay, you thought it was easy enough, but once you step in and start doing classes, yeah. <laughs> it's probably a different experience, especially when your body is going through such a tough yeah. process other than beyond ballet dance class. Right. Yeah. So I think, again, I was very lucky to find the right teacher for that specific moment. And a person that I was very straightforward with her from the beginning, like I told her everything, even though like when I went to classes, like I would wear like a turban, you know, style and I would like do all my makeup so people couldn't see that I had lost like my eyebrows and my eyelashes. I had like six eyelashes on one side and nine on the other. I still remember because I counted them. Uh, but my teacher, I told her the truth. And obviously, probably people could figure out something was going on, but I, I needed to like wear that armor to feel good. But I told her and she was like, that's okay. Just do what you can. And if you need to sit down, just sit now, sit down and like take notes. You might still like learn something that way. And so that's what I did. And in that sense, I think the fact that it was a new discipline made it a little bit safer for me because I was new. I didn't have anything to prove. Whereas if I had gone back to the dances where I was already like dancing at a professional level, I would have felt far more pressure. And so the first couple of months, 
very often I would, you know, if the class was one hour, I would take half an hour and the other half an hour would be seated. But I stayed, you know, so I still heard the music. I saw her explaining things. I took notes. And on my good week, maybe I could do the full class or even like ask her like, hey, can I do a private with you this week? Because this week I'm feeling better. And then on the bad weeks, maybe I couldn't do the class, but I still went and I sat and I got something transfused into me. and. At some point, when my last chemo was coming up, we actually had a huge festival here. Randa Kamal came and danced in Puerto Rico even, which was like, you know, Puerto Rico is a small, small island. So like to have like this belly dance, goddesses and gods visit us always feels like, wow. Uh, and I didn't know who Randa Kamal was back then because I was just starting. I was a baby belly dancer, but I could see the excitement of everybody else in the school. And anyway, my teacher talked to me and she's like, hey, I'm planning this choreography. It's a Saidi choreography. I think you could do it. And we can all wear turbans so that no one needs to know that you don't have hair. Everybody would have your look. You would all look the same. My dance friends, they were like so supportive. I cannot tell you like they were like, yeah, yeah, you can do this. You can do this. We'll dress just like you. We'll do your makeup like it'll be fun. And we'll celebrate It's your last chemo. And, and, and so I did it. So my first onstage belly dance was actually Saidi, which has become one of my like main loves in this dance and so so yeah so I I, I think when things are right for you 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 can find a way you know and and sometimes it's about being flexible with, with yourself and with your expectations you know and once I felt better, um, then I ramped it way up. Once I felt better, I started taking classes five times a week. I started traveling abroad three, four times a year. I became very intense about it, you know. Uh, but that would have never happened if I hadn't given myself the opportunity to try. And if I hadn't locked out of being in a space that felt safe and welcoming and didn't, like, put more pressure on me than what I could handle so you know like maybe a little pressure yeah we think you're ready to dance this one piece but we'll also like respect it if you decide that's not it or you need to sit down or whatever so mm. <laughs> do you think specifically belly dance uh, made any change or support in your recovery like let's say if you chose another dance Mm -hmm. whichever i don't know a few passions i'm thinking now maybe hula hula dance or something like that right. so, so still yeah. like fluid still like hip movements but different one do you think um of course community plays a big role and that's a matter of the like, clock and even the same let's say dance genre you can get to one school it's one community another school so it's that's out of question but as yeah. dance itself uh, do you think there was any difference or it was just for you important uh and the contribution that got to your uh process um mm -hmm. not necessarily the recovery process but like whatever process you were going and it was helping it was just the some new physical activity or there was something special that now looking afterwards backwards you see like oh it was invalid and specifically yeah i think there was something special in arabic music in particular like uh, listening to Om Kulsum was extremely powerful for me. Even if I couldn't understand her, 
as I was going through a process that was very intense and like emotion filled and that really like takes you on a journey, you know, Tarab takes you on a journey too. And, and the songs that dig that dip in a way I felt like, like they could catch some of the emotional journey I was going through, you know, even if I couldn't perform them back well, back, back then to any measure of justice, like doing it, you know, but I could feel the music and I could dance at my home and, 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 and the music I think was amazing that I like really connected. Uh, then the second thing that I have associated to kind of that healing process is in my case, I had, breast cancer and if you look at the other two dance forms that I had been performing professionally for a while flamenco and, and modern dance yes they use everything and especially if you're like very much into Marta Graham technique you'll be doing like all your contractions or whatnot so certainly there's torso work flamenco uses the torso a lot there's like a lot of like spiral movements and whatnot at the posture but still I would say if you had to like categorize those two dances and belly dance, those first two dances are going to be perhaps more limbs oriented, like your legs, your hands, while belly dance is going to be more torso oriented. All three use everything. It is totally a misnomer to think like flamenco is just about taconeo. That's not entirely true. It's very important, but that's not representative. Just like saying that Rax Shark is just about the belly is not representative either, but I do think that we could say fairly that dance styles tend to have references of where they focus the attention in the body and the attention that belly dance puts on the torso in a moment where I was having major changes and stuff happening to my torso was a way to try and reconnect with my body as it was being transformed to surgery, to chemo, you know, it's my body changed. My body was not the same it was as a 24-year-old, you know. And, and so I do think that it was a gentle, a beautiful way of me reconnecting after, well, yeah, basically trauma. Because cancer and cancer treatment can be physical trauma. You know, like you do it because you have to. But it's not certainly something one would do. <laughs> yeah that's that's for sure and thank you for sharing this and i'm also uh really amazed like because for you uh going through the cancer through all this treatment in many cases when people have their profession uh related to physical activity and you were a professional dancer uh before mm -hmm. like flamenco and modern dance but once they face serious health problems and especially such ones as cancer many people kind of really shift their life in a very different direction and stop physical activity. And you actually continued professional dance activity. It just happened to be now in ballet dance. But was there a moment for you that you were thinking of going somewhere completely different direction or it was kind of out of question? No, I'm a dancer. I want to be a dancer. I just need to find my uh, my field. Yeah. I mean, when I was very first diagnosed, I... I was not, I, I stopped dancing. It was like that moment during my birthday that I told you after a couple of months of like, okay, pity parties enough. And I asked myself what else to do. And this was what popped up. I think my experience with dance at this point is that even though 
I have moments in which I am like, oh, I'm done with dance. I always end up coming back to it. You know, uh, I just, I change my approach. So for example, in this case, I switch from one discipline to another, or for example, um, I can give you another one. And, and maybe this podcast is going to end up being like way more soulful than either of us expected, but I am up for it if you are. Um, I had another transformation about two years ago. My And again, this is public too. I was fairly open about it. My younger brother um, died of suicide on November 2021 and so I went through a very intense grief period and as part of that grief I had a moment in which I just didn't want to dance I wasn't even angry about it I just had like no energy for it you know like I just I wasn't I had no energy for it or for almost anything really I felt like I was 10% of the person that I used to be and I was not about to use the little 10% that I had left for myself dance I needed to use it to keep myself alive so I had that very intense experience kind of similar to the first one but in a very different context and for a moment I was like am I going to stop belly dancing is this the moment where it happens and but I was like you know what let's just flow with it see what comes up and now that I'm two years out from that moment what I have discovered is what I needed to do was to pivot again. In this case, I used to be very involved before with being a teacher and I had a school, I organized festivals. I was in the workshop circuit in the US and Mexico, very into all of that. And what I discovered was that I no longer really wanted to teach anymore. And that was very interesting because I had worked very hard to get into, you know, being a festival producer, being in a workshop circuit, being a successful teacher with like six, seven classes a week full, etc. So it was kind of like a shock to discover that I didn't want to teach anymore. But once I allowed myself to accept that, I ended up going into being a very active geeking dancer. And I'm loving it. It's been amazing. And it has completely like, it was like, yeah, this is why I love the dance. This is why I love the music. This is what, this is how my creativity chooses to come out now. And I think perhaps that's the key lesson there to give yourself permission to see where your creativity takes you. And that might change through the years as life happens and you change because we have the right to change as people. Some people are fairly steady. That's great. But some people change very dramatically, and that would also depend on what happens to you. Like, you have dramatic stuff happen to you, it is very likely that you will change dramatically, and that is okay. Um, and in my case, I that that's the second twist I ended up doing in my in my dance journey. It was like, you know what? I actually, even though I love teaching, right now that's not what I want to do. I want to be full on gigging. I'm doing Safas with a Dapke group. I'm dancing like uh, all over Houston and NASA area. I'm dancing at hookah bars, restaurants, clubs, super fine dining places. I love it all. It's super fun. Well, then do that. <laughs> you know, why force yourself to continue doing the previous thing? Maybe that chapter closed. I think that's a part that sometimes as like artistic people, we might have a challenge accepting that it's okay for projects to end and that doesn't mean that it was a bad project or that it failed it was just the time for that project to end and then you open up a new project oh, 
amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And it doesn't even need, it doesn't even require any dramatic, I don't know, trauma or any dramatic events in your life. Sometimes it's just time passed true. and it's a different thing because we often forget to ask ourselves, is it really what I want? Or sometimes is it really still what I want? Uh, yes. And yes. that's what that's we need to do. That's very wise. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i'm excited to talk about all these changes in your life but i also want to go a little bit like not jumping super right away to the current state uh i'm curious <laughs> to ask you so you uh had experience of living in beirut for a couple of months yeah. why yeah. did you choose beirut because for most dancers they will choose to go to cairo and live a couple of months in cairo like yeah. okay belly dance cairo why beirut yeah, yeah. So two things. One of them, I, I just kind of felt like everybody went to Cairo and I wanted to do something different. <laughs> yeah. But the other one, uh, and probably the strongest motivation there was that I connected very deeply with Dabki. I loved it. It was in particularly something I wanted to study and I found it very challenging to find on this side of the world. Now it's a little bit more accessible. But when I went, I, I could only find like maybe two or three teachers, you know, and, and it would always be kind of like a side class in a festival, never the main course. And I wanted it to be the main course. I'm like, well, then you got to go to the source, girl. And, and you know, uh, among the options that you had, like Palestine, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, well, Beirut back then seemed like the better one I, I also speak a little bit of French I had friends that had gone then you know, there like Valerie Molinari who helped me out it's like oh you can take classes with this teacher you can take classes with this teacher you can stay in this area it's really cool uh and so I had also like some connections there that I could leverage and then also in terms of like the style of dance I love Egyptian style uh, but I also, I, I, I have a real close affinity with Lebanese style. And I felt like my, my energy and my projection goes a little bit more towards there. So I could do like a very, uh, I'm going to say like inside the box Egyptian style if I train for it. But that's not usually how my improvisations in dance are going to go. You know, I, 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 I love like, all the themes of Lebanese styles. I love like all the the hip lifts and the lean backs rather than hip drops and internal so much. You know, I love that external kind of energy that I see in Lebanese style, the divaness of it, rather than the contained dramatic kind of thing. Obviously, Egyptian style is, changes a lot. I'm referring kind of like to how things were when I went to Beirut. By now, I feel like the whole configuration would be different, right? With how things are changes, with changing with clubs and music and costuming tendencies and whatnot. But back then, that that was what made a lot of sense to me. So I could study Dapke. I had connections. It was something different. Uh, and that's what I did. And, and I lived there for two, two and a half months. I took Dabki two to three times a week. I also trained with Pierre Hadar, with Alexandre, who is amazing. Uh, and just being there, you know, being there, seeing it firsthand, how, 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 how things were there, that I think was very important to me too. It's something that I wanted to do, to feel a little bit more inside the culture, even if I know, you know, like, I'm not, but, but, but I can at least do 
an effort <laughs> to, to see was, it from uh, one perspective. Was your experience in Beirut according to your expectations or you had some um, interesting surprises uh, there? <laughs> yeah, um, I gotta think first, like what would have been my expectations? I think I thought I would be like, this superwoman that would learn Arabic and learn Dabki and also like uh, train in Lebanese style, rock sharky, and also like explore the country. And that crumbled down pretty fast. It was like, that's way too much to do in two, two and a half months, girl. <laughs> and so it's like, what do you want to focus on? I was like, okay, I want to focus on the dance. I want to focus on Dabki and on rock sharky. And rather than like, I'm going to see the whole country I want to like get a sense for Beirut. So once I readjusted my expectations to something a little bit more realistic, I could enjoy it more so that I could be present. I think sometimes if you're a bit of an overachiever, you want to like hit all your goals and you believe that if you work hard, you can get there. And that is true. The flip side of that is how do you get there and how present were you to your journey? And, and and so my conclusion was in Beirut was that, you know what, I think I'm going to like change, adjust my goals a little bit, simplify them a little bit so I can just be present here, you know, like walk around the city instead of having to take a cab because I want to be able to walk and hear and smell what's going on or, or or just be able to say yes to a new friend that I made instead of being like, sorry, I can't because I got to run to dance class. You know, like I was also there because I wanted to, to talk to people and to listen to people. So that, that was my main adjustment. Obviously I think it was about a year later that the bomb exploded and, and everything changed. And, and thankfully like, I, all my friends, I they were all okay, and 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 we helped as we could. I organized a, a festival with Valerie to like fundraise money, and Jelena, Mercedes Nieto, so many people like contributed and gave videos, and we were able to send like a good chunk of money and help about ten, twelve families because we decided to specifically give money to families rather than like Red Cross or something. But I haven't been able to go back, so I, I can't speak as to how things are now. I just have like that snapshot of Beirut before the bomb, um, which I will always treasure, you know, appreciate that I was able to have that opportunity. Well, uh, hopefully the world in general will calm down soon. Yes. We can uh, just go wherever we want to go and uh, explore, enjoy and share uh, passion and love to different cultures and different uh, uh, heritages. Mm -hmm. You mentioned several times that um, your personality is more towards this powerful, crazy Lebanese style and Lebanese like <laughs> Dabke and all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And watching your videos, you can definitely see that you have very powerful energy. Um, does your this Emotions, this energy, um, this powerful aura doesn't usually uh, help you or backfire. And I'm asking about both in teaching area and in gigs performing area. Right. That's a great question. Um, I think in, in teaching, it has always been useful. I am the kind of person that believes that it's better to have more of something 
and trim it down than not have enough of it and try to somehow make it grow. Uh, and I, in my experience, part of your job as a teacher is also empowering your students and like giving them the right energy, the right confidence so that they dare to do something that they haven't done before or that they perhaps will fail quote unquote, the first couple of times because it's new. But if you're there and you have like a cheerful attitude and like you're like their cheerleader, you know, they get it and they start relaxing into it, you know, and that is something really beautiful to watch happening, you know, and to see your students flower. And I and I have seen it so many times, you know, that students that came kind of like super shy and like closed in and, you know, after a year, you see them like being this total superstars on stage. Yeah. And like, yeah, they're still early in their journey as a dancer from a technical point. There are things that, you know, they, they will keep apologizing, but you can already see how the confidence went from like zero to a hundred, you know, in a relatively short amount of time. So I think my powerful persona, let's call it like that, has been very, very useful with teaching. Uh, when it comes to gigs, what I have learned is that it depends a lot on the kind of gig that you're having, okay? So I'll be specific. Uh, if I am working like at a family restaurant, that kind of like powerful, very external, perhaps sometimes loud energy, super useful, super appreciated because everybody's just out there to like party and have fun. There are usually little kids Little kids love that stuff. Uh, you can play with like grandma and grandpa, get everybody clapping and singing. And that's totally appropriate for that context. Now, if you are, for example, going to a fine dining place, powerful energy again, I always think it's better to have more than less. Good, but you have to learn to contain it. It's going to need to be a little bit more concentrated rather than so external going out in, in different directions because the scene of a fine dining place is going to require a bit more mystery and allure so rather than making the energy so explicit out you're going to, need to like contain it a little bit and let them come to you you know rather than you bringing the energy to them and so those are some of the things i have learned still good to have energy but some places you're going to need to like modulate in different ways, while in other places you tend to just like throw it out. And in other places, no, you're gonna need to like channel it very specifically, or maybe put like a little smoke screen over it so that it's more appropriate to the context uh, that you're in because sometimes it's not about you. Like in a wedding, you know, like maybe the first three minutes as you're entering with your channel done is about you. But after that, it's about the bride and the groom, you know. So you need to be gracious and you were hired to make them the stars, not yourself, you know. And so how do you use your energy to like get everybody involved, give everybody permission to stand up and then kind of like fade into the background once the party is going it's no longer about you you did your job you just like help it keep it going you know so those are some of the things i have learned as i change from one kind of gig to another 
there was another uh, dramatic change in your life that you haven't mentioned yet. At some point, yeah. you moved from Puerto Rico to Houston. So how did that happen and, and how did it influence your dance journey? You did your research. I love it. <laughs> so 2017, Hurricane Maria uh, hit Puerto Rico. It was very, very devastating. Uh, basically, when I woke up after the, hur the hurricane had passed, which it lasted like a day and a half. So after like 36 hours of hurricane uh, and I got to like watch at my window, it was like, my country is gone. Like it looked, all the trees were down or they looked like they had been burned. It, it was very dramatic. And that's, that's when I realized that I would need to leave Puerto Rico and move to Houston. That I didn't think like that, that the country had been set back like 10 years and I didn't think it would be fixed anytime soon. Um, and history has kind of like proven that point. Sadly, you know, Puerto Rico, it's, it's a gorgeous place. It's a great place to travel to. It is still five, six years after Maria, a very difficult place for Puerto Ricans to live in, you know? So like great for tourists, not so great for actual Puerto Ricans. And, you know, in 2017, I, I was living as a, a full-time artist. I had my school, I had Rex uh, Caribe, which was uh, an international dance festival. I had my gigs here, but in a country where, you know, we didn't have power for six months. My case, I'm not talking about other people. Other people had it longer, but my case, I didn't have power for six months. I didn't have water for four months. How, how do you keep a dance studio under those conditions? And who is going to hire you for a belly dance show when they don't have power or water for months and months and months? You know, it, it, it was like, that's not going to happen. Uh, and so that's when I realized that I that I would need to leave. And so I started saving and eventually um, end of 2019, Silvia Salamanca, a really good friend of mine, she called me and she was like, hey, I got a contract. It's for three months only and it's not like the best pay in the world, but it's enough for three months. You know, you, you can make it uh, while you land something else. And I was like, perfect. I love it. And I love working with her. You know, I trust her fully as an artist. So I was like, you know what? Three months is all I need to start over. I will hustle and I will figure something else out in Houston. And that's what I did. And it turned out to be a great decision for me. Uh, I ended up meeting my, my, my current fiance now there precisely at that gig. He was playing the doombeck. I was dancing. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Now, so you know, it was kind of like a fairy tale, to be very honest. But I had to kind of like roll the dice there and be like, "Yeah, let me take this opportunity and see and see where it goes." So, so yeah, <laughs> that's that story. And um, adjusting to a new country, did you already focus entirely on gigs at that moment, or you still were trying to do teaching? I was still trying to teach back then. I was still trying to teach back then. Uh, that was, um, I moved to Houston around like September, 2019. Uh, 
but you know, March 2020, the pandemic began, so everything closed down again. I was still trying to teach. I did like the whole online thing, and you know, uh, and I'll, I, I, I've done you know some festivals here and there, some classes here and there. But then when my brother died in 2021, that's where I was like, you know, this is just not doing it for me right now. And again, it's not. It's not a statement about the teaching itself. It's just about how I felt. And I think that's the part to bring it back to what you said. Sometimes we just change and we forget to ask ourselves, like, is this still working for me? Do I still, you know, is this still what I want to be doing? And, and, and yeah, that, that, that's when I shifted and, and I moved to gigs sometime after, sometime in 2022. <laughs> Today, you have a full-time career, very busy with gigs every week, every weekend. Uh, I don't know if daily, but really, really busy schedule. What do you think is the main key or secret to your success in terms of being booked so much? Okay, I think clarity and honesty with myself about what's important to me and what I want to do. So that clarity of like, okay, I want to focus on gigs. That might mean that I can't like take every invitation to go at, and teach at a festival, you know? And, and that was hard in the beginning because, you know, you work so hard for something and then you realize that that's no longer where you're at and you have to say no. And that's also, I mean, it's not a super bad problem to have, but it's still difficult. Um, but that clarity is essential so that I can be successful at things I do want to do. Like, this is the thing. Every yes you give is potentially a no to something else. So you got to be really sure that where you're giving your yeses are the things that are aligned with your priorities, with your clarity. Um, and in my case, when it comes to dance, it was it was gigs. It's currently gigs. And so that's that's what I'm doing. Um, you mentioned too, uh, and I guess we haven't talked about that. I did actually take a corporate job after after the pandemic. So I work full time uh, in a PR communications agency. I am a PR person, puts my energy to good use. Uh, and then I gig at night and during the weekends. And, and what has helped me there is again, that clarity so I can structure my days in a very efficient kind of way, you know. And and, and by now, I, I know my routines well. It took me a while to figure out how much room I had to play or not, but by now I know my routines. But again, what allowed that success is clarity. First, you got to have clarity. What do you really want? What's a want versus a need? And then you take it from there. And have you ever had a corporate job before in your in your life, in your experience, or is it the first one for you? So my first corporate job was in Houston. It was not this one. I have switched since since I moved to Houston, but it was in Houston before that. I I, I had been either a full time artist or like half time doing dance and half time freelancing doing digital marketing kind of stuff so I was always my own boss I didn't become like 
a corporate employee until I moved to Houston. Yeah, that was an interesting adjustment. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm curious to ask how difficult it was to get a job in corporate world when you have a yeah. life being full-time artist and specifically like belly dancer. Because yeah. for many people, they will think, oh, it's not possible even for me. Like, I have been dancing all my life. Like, what was... So, yeah. um, did you highlighted your dance experience did it yes. did you hide it yes. did you use it somehow to your advantage like how was how difficult was actually to get into yeah. jobs yeah so there are two things there i always kept like a little bit of a food on being a, a freelance uh digital marketing person so even though at times there, there was a period where in which I was a full-time artist and I was not like working with any clients. I did have enough of a resume to pull back from, to mm -hmm. reference that. So there's that point. But also I use my, my dance experience strategically. So for example, as a festival producer, I did press releases. I did interviews with journalists i pitched the journalists i followed up with them and i got plays at the main national newspaper in puerto rico i got the cover and the two two page full spread so when i went to corporate and i was applying for a job in communications i pulled that i like i did this these are the kinds of results that I can get. And I think as dancers, sometimes we forget all the stuff we do that is not dance. We do it for dance, but it's not dance. You know, you build a website, you do your promotion through Instagram, you do email marketing, you might even do like paid Facebook ads. All of those are skills that are marketable. It's called digital marketing, actually. You know, so you can present it in a strategic way, like study the job description, see what you have done, and where you can like give examples. Oh, this skill, I have demonstrated it here. This skill, I have demonstrated it here. Okay, who can speak about it? Maybe there's another dance school owner that you help them out making them a flyer or something well that can be a reference that you can put it's somewhat like maybe if it was a trade even if it was a trade you still did a job for them you know no one needs to know that you didn't get paid because you did some kind of personal trade with the person you still did a job for them so that can be a reference for you and that's how i got my food in the door you know i leverage what i use and this is the thing. Once you're in, the rest is easy. The hardest part is the first transition, I think, you know, but once you're in, you just continue using the same strategy, leverage what you have done before in a strategic way. Mm. That's a smart uh, way to put it. And yes, as dancers, we often forget that uh, usually being a full-time dancer requires way more than just dancing. <laughs> So much more. And this is the fun. Okay. Uh, and this might be a spicy outtake, but I'll go for it. I think we, we have different options to approach dance. It's okay to be a full-time artist. It's okay to be a hobbyist too. And to be like, you know what? I don't have any interest in all that side work that comes with being a full-time artist or even a professional dancer that's not full-time I just want to be a hobbyist that's totally fine uh but it's also fine like what I'm doing now it's okay too if what you think it's best for you at a specific moment is to have a quote-unquote traditional job and dance professionally being paid a good rate doing a good job, using your technique, using all your skills, your cultural knowledge, et cetera, 
and doing that as a like a part-time kind of thing. That's okay too. It depends on what you want and what you need and what's available where you live too, right? Because not all areas are going to have the same level of offering. But I think all three combinations, full-time artists, hobbyists, uh, traditional employment and then part-time are possibilities. It's more about what you need, what you want, what's your context. And going back to that question of clarity, you know, like what is it that you need and want now? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you make it fit. You make it fit into your life. <laughs> and it's also cool to hear that you figure out for you, for yourself right now at this specific moment, gigs, it's what's calling you. Uh, May I ask what what exact aspect of gigs life excites you and why specific gigs over teaching right now at this specific moment? Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah, because um, I, I am such an entertainer. I am such a ham when I'm on stage. Uh, I, I, I love the, the interaction that gigs allow and the versatility of like what I was mentioning, how a family restaurant is so different from like a fine dining place, from a wedding, from a hookah bar, which is a totally different dynamic too, from a club. Uh, that keeps it very interesting for me. I love, honestly, all the costuming opportunities I have for it, how I can completely like change my look. And to me, costuming and designing like your headpiece or your accessories, it's part of the the creative and artistic offering that I'm giving as part of my shows. And if you're, when you're gigging, like I'm gigging now where, you know, I can easily have three to five gigs a week, that's like three or five looks I can play with. And then there's like the extra puzzles, flash, fun challenge of like okay but I only have like a 15 minute change so what's a gig a costume change I can actually achieve in that time you know and to me all of that it's super exciting uh it's something that that I really 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 love I also right now in this current context I'm in uh gig work is better paid than teaching work where I'm currently at when I was in Puerto Rico it was actually the opposite teaching work was better paid. So in terms of sort of like my time energy investment compared to what's coming back, it also made more sense. So I wouldn't say that was like the only reason, but you know, we're adults, we've got to pay rent and taxes and stuff. So at least for me, I'm a fairly analytical person. That is a factor that, you know, that I keep in mind too. But mostly I think right now, what I love about geeks is the versatility that it gives me. I feel like I can be some many different characters and I get paid to be all these characters. It's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) How to be um, not shy to ask for a good payment? This is the question for dancers all around the world. Regardless, is it a good area that kind of offers nice uh, rates or not that good, but uh, often dancers face like, oh, but I don't know how to ask for this money or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a common question. Um, A couple of things that have worked for me. One, uh, to have good relationships with the dancers in your area. So one of the first things that I did when I moved to Houston was 
taking dancers that I admired, even if I didn't know them really well, but if I saw them on Instagram and like, I like what they're doing. I was like, oh yeah, this girl, she's interesting. I like her dance style. Or like, oh, this is like the queen of props. She always has like some new props. That's interesting. Oh, this girl's a great entertainer. Oh, this girl's a great improviser, whatever. I invited them to coffee, just like that. Like I wrote to them. I'm like, listen, if you have some time, I'd love to take you out to coffee in the next two weeks. I'm happy to meet you wherever it's comfortable for you. And I made it real easy for them. And and I started developing relationships here because, you know, I came in new. I didn't know that many people in the scene. Uh, and then keeping those relationships by being a good colleague, a good professional. But like, if I see that a restaurant already has a dancer, I'm not going to go there to offer my services because there's already a dancer. But I can talk to her and let her know, hey, if at some time you need someone to cover you, I'm happy to help. Here's my portfolio. And leave it at that. No pressure. You know, to just like offer help. If it comes back, good. If it doesn't come back, good too. You still like them, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I think that has been really helpful for me. Why? Because as I developed those relationships, I asked, hey, what are you charging? I want to make sure that I'm not messing up the market. I want to be sure that I'm charging something fair. If you feel comfortable, again, not pushing. If you feel comfortable, can you give me an idea of more or less what you're charging so that I also contribute and not detract from the market and nine times out of 10 people told me and then now where I'm in a position where I'm taking more gigs I pay it back too I have had newer dancers come to me and ask me and I always say yes and I help them out you know uh, and I think knowing what's happening in your environment and having good relationships with the other dancers in your environment helps you feel more confident when you're going to ask for a price because you know what's up you know what are the standards for for your industry, and hopefully, if you actually have a relationship with them, you are able to have a conversation. Why do you do this this way? Like, why did you choose this rate and not this other one that perhaps I was thinking of? You know, uh, and so that builds your confidence. So that's one side of it, and then the other side of it: trust your skills, trust that you know what you're doing, that you know what you can offer, understand how much your time is value for you, you know, like, is this worth it for me? Even if we were a market, sometimes I have had gigs and I'm like, you know what? It's Sunday. I've had a full week of work. I've done four gigs already. I don't want to do another one. I'll just pass it on. It's a good gig, but in that case, it wasn't for me. Uh, and then good marketing so that you have options. If your marketing is solid, people will come to you. The right kind of clients will come to you and then you don't have to feel like so desperate you know uh for for that part but what do you mean by solid marketing because for many dancers it's like like what <laughs> what what do you mean like i just dance nicely i have my photos but what's what's next what do you mean solid marketing? i love it i love i love it let's get specific um marketing that shows not just tell what the client that you want to get will get now let me make that explicit so if you want to get more family restaurants that's the kind of gig that you like then you're gonna like need videos in family restaurants and then you're gonna need costumes that are a little bit more family friendly now if you want to get more like into the hookah bars and the nightclubs then it would be helpful for you perhaps to not have all your pictures be like day pictures, 
some night pictures in like super hot, sexier kind of costumes might be more like what that client is looking for. So you got to put yourself in your client's place. What does this, what is this client looking for? And then try to provide that to them. Even if you don't have the gigs yet, you can make a photo that kind of fits that, you know, is the costume reflective of the client expectations? Is it a more, or if it's a family friendly kind of thing, maybe day pictures are a little bit better. If it's a nightclub kind of thing, you really need that, like that city lights night kind of look, you know? Uh, so, so that helps. Also, I have taken classes I have taken coaching you know like I'm gonna give her a free ad Katie Starr I did her class on branding and using social media it helped me out a lot once I started implementing that those things I could see a difference and I could see more people DMing me and messaging so marketing just like dancing it's a skill what does that mean it can be learned and if it can be learned then you can get better at it. It's okay if you're not good at it now. It's okay. But if it's important to you, then put the effort to like make it a little bit better, get t-shirts, get coaches, experiment, and it will improve like any other skill. It's very cool to hear also so much excitement in your voice talking about like these topics in this field. And it's very cool that you found, you know, your current uh, nice place for you, like in Houston, this lifestyle, like this dance present in your life in this form and shape at this point of your life that makes you uh, feel happy. And uh, I'm curious to know, like, how do you see yourself uh, uh, in the next, I don't know, future, next, few years or so like where is your uh, focus and goals in the dance area i love it um i think i'm gonna stay on the gig side of things for a bit i'm having so much fun (laughs) so i think that will probably last but i already have like a little tickle that it's like just kind of like tickling my left shoulder like i'm kind of here and i think that at some point maybe like five years out you know it's not something I'm feeling right now but I think it might come I think I might be really into like theater productions and like maybe taking advantage of all these different uh dance disciplines I have had in my life and doing like uh, a theatrical piece you know that that I run uh again right now it's just like a tickle but but I'm like hmm that's interesting so but but we'll see for now i'm having lots of fun with the gigs and i really look forward to seeing how much more than that can keep expanding you know like what other options for gigs are out there that i haven't even thought of uh and i think this is another good point about marketing if you share what you're doing if you share what you're passionate about and and you let people know why why you care about it um, they start becoming like little scouts for you. And then they're also like, hey, I saw this thing and I thought of you. And it's kind of like a cool opportunity. You want to talk to this person? I can connect you. And my answer is usually, yes, please. What's the worst that could happen? You know, that I lost half an hour, it's fine. You know, so I think that openness to curiosity too is just, a lot can come out of serendipity, you know? Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and a good <laughs> tip for many dancers who want to promote, regardless, like their shows or teaching or whatever like area they want to develop, it's more like 
following what you want, what you feel, what excites you, but also uh, look yes. for opportunities that you may not even be aware of existing right now at this moment. <laughs> yes, yes. And tell tell your people, because your people might also think of something that you didn't even think of, you know. Uh, tell your people. I think also so much of being an artist is like throwing uh letters in a bottle to the ocean you know and you just like keep throwing them out there to the ocean of the universe and creativity and opportunities and then some of them start coming back to you and you don't even remember when you put that letter out there but guess what you did it was there and you kept doing something you didn't sit and wait and moan and be like oh my letter no one is paying attention to it. Like, just do something else you know but because you kept creating you kept exercising that muscle you kept sharing it with people they do come back you never entirely know which ones will come back but some will some will uh, and then you say yes and you flow with it and it's beautiful wow <laughs> well, speaking <laughs> Speaking about our people, <laughs> so tell yes. me, please, our listeners, where they can uh, find out more about you, follow your dance journey, and uh, connect and keep an eye on your current and future activities. Do you have any yes. favorite social media? Is it website? Is it any other source? Like, what's the best way to follow your activity? Right. So the best way is my Instagram page which is Diana, spelled like D-I-A-N-A. -A. So like Diana in English, but I say it in Spanish because I'm from Puerto Rico. Diana underscore dance magic. And that's where I'm the most uh, available. Uh, and you can DM me, I'll respond. You know, sometimes it, it might take me a bit depending on how many messages I have, but I will respond. I will read it. And, and, and so that's the main place. And in my Instagram, you can also find a link to my newsletter, which comes out about once a month at most twice. So don't worry. I won't spam you once a month, sometimes twice, if I really have lots of exciting things to share. And then in my newsletter, I go a little bit more in depth, like for example, like transformational journeys that we have talked about here, that's where I might write more uh, in depth about that kind of stuff. Because obviously Instagram is more for like the fun part, but if you also want to get into like the soulful part, the lessons learned, the nitty gritty tips of how to handle something, I do that in my monthly newsletter and you can find the link on my Instagram. Oh, that's cool. Uh... I definitely include links to the in the show notes okay. this episode, so all listeners can easily find them there and connect. And uh, what a awesome. cool resource also you shared like about your newsletter because uh, a lot of people probably needed to hear what we talked about in this episode. But uh, the journey doesn't finish here; it continues, <laughs> and uh, many things are relatable across different experiences. Although maybe yes. situations are different, but the feelings, emotions, and uh, uh, conclusions yes. or lessons can be very very similar so it's always cool to connect and hear from each other in our Belladons community here yes and I love that and that's been my experience too you know when I have shared some of this stuff people write back to me and you realize like you are not alone you know like this is the human experience the the beauty and the sorrow the, it all comes together you know uh, and 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 and, and and we can be there for each other. And I think that's really beautiful. Wow, that's so true. 
Well, to summarize our today's conversation, I would last like to ask you one more a final question. Okay. And this is our traditional question. So I ask this question every single time, regardless of what we talked about. And with you, we touched it a little bit, but I feel it's also a good way to sort of sum up at the end. Okay. So the question is, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? What makes me fall in love with belly dance again and again so I keep doing it for so many years? I think the music, first and foremost, and the fact that it is a dance style that it's rooted in improvisation. So there are rules, there are standards, there are styles. It's not like a free for all, but at the end of the day, it's an improvisational style. And so you cannot hide because there's no good improvisation when you hide. You have to be present. You have to show up. You have to say yes, listen to the music and have a dialogue with it. And to me, that is a never ending rich and giving experience. You know, mm. it always gives back as long as you show up. And I just love that. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, bringing more consistency and more fun into your dance training online. Check it out at yanadanceclub.com, direct link in the show notes. And before you leave, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends, as well as leave a review on iTunes or any other app you're using to listen to the show. The more people know about this podcast, the easier it is for me to bring even more awesome guests. Until next time, keep shimming and keep dancing.